Hello and welcome to the Raising Athletes podcast. My name is Kirsten Jones. I'm a peak performance and sports parenting coach and now author of the new book, Raising Empowered Athletes. I love helping people figure out what's getting in their way, what's holding them back, releasing those limitations so that they can move forward. Susie Walton and I started this podcast almost five years ago now to help interview by interviewing athletes and parents and authors and coaches to help the parents figure out how can we support our athletes better. And today, Dan Blewett's on here. We're going to talk all things baseball. And I love this because we've done a lot of a lot of other sports, but we haven't gone deep in baseball. So Dan, welcome. And could you tell our audience a little bit about yourself so that they can have context as to all of this rich knowledge that they're going to get in the next few minutes? Yeah. So baseball, um, I know we were talking off camera about the mental side of sports and fun fact, baseball is the most brutal sport, uh, mentally, maybe besides golf. Um, so yeah, lots of lessons there to share, but, uh, I was a pro pitcher. I played in the independent leagues for six seasons. Uh, one of the things that really marked my journey was I had Tommy John surgery, which is a major elbow surgery that Lots of baseball pitchers get, but very few get it twice. So I had that twice in my career, one that ended my college career. And then um, I had to actually set out my first all-star game that I made uh, my third year in pro ball because I was waiting for my second surgery. So um, learned a lot about resilience thanks to my paper mache ligaments and tendons. Um, but I owned a baseball and softball academy from 2010 to 2019, uh, sold that after the conclusion of my baseball career and moved uh, back to the East Coast. I'm from Maryland originally, but not the D.C. area. But now I live in Washington, D.C. And I essentially sort of like do all the stuff that I used to do in my baseball and softball academy on the web. So I'm an active YouTuber. You can see my luxurious setup here. Um, I'm in my, my Coach Dan costume right now. And uh, I have about 60,000 subscribers on the baseball side, about 30,000 on my softball channel. And then I... Uh, speak a lot on parent athlete relationships, coaching athlete relationships. And I've been trying to be a, to use my platform as it's grown. I'm kind of approaching 30,000 on both TikTok and Instagram just to like reach more generally some of the things that I think are important because as much as I've given people instruction on the web, which that's been like the bread and butter of what I do on the web, that's the way most people sort of come into my ecosystem now. And I have written four books. Uh, on baseball and mental skills, but most people find me on the web from baseball or softball instruction. And once they're in my ecosystem, I want to give them things that I think are important, not just from the instructional standpoint, because, you know, for an athlete to stick in the game long enough and get where they want to go, it's like a whole tribe raising them, you know, and Kirsten, you know that. And uh, so trying to help them along, not just on the instruction side, but also the mental side, also on the just the family cohesiveness and, and all that side. And, and now that I'm 37 and decrepit, I have a lot more perspective on what I think is important looking back, you know, my own career from 30,000 feet and just having observed so many families in our academy. You know, I was lucky to work with so many kids in person and also see so many family dynamics, just the ones that worked and the ones that just did not work. You know, the, the really talented athletes that succeeded and the really talented athletes that came to my office telling me they wanted to quit, you know, it's just, it, there's a lot of different dynamics and, and Kirsten, I'm almost finished your book now and you've done a really good job of, uh, of hitting that. And one of the, one of the stories that you mentioned in your book is from 
one of my favorite books because it's, I think it was so well written and his story is such a gut punch, which is open by Andre Agassi. I read that like yeah. three or four years ago. And it's like, what is it, like the first one, of the first lines of the book that how much he hates tennis. And you're like, mm -hmm. dear God, this book is going to be quite the ride. Yes. I devoured that book. And, and that is totally, I think when I first started thinking about writing a book, those stories, those kind of watching Tiger and Andre and Serena and Venus and these athletes that, you know, Lance that were just kind of 20,000 hours and we're going to make you a you know, 10,000 hour rule, but turns into 20,000 hours is we're going to make you a pro athlete kind of mentality, which that's what I write about in the book is how did we get here? Mm -hmm. um, and so much I want to unpack with you about everything you just set up, but let's start with, and we're going to mention it again at the end, but because right at the beginning, what, what are the books that you offer and where can people find them? Uh, well, I'm just a Google away. All my books are on Amazon or my online store, all that stuff. But my first is called pitching isn't complicated. It was a pitching instruction manual. Um, 2013, that one came out. And my second is a memoir of my career called Dear Baseball Gods. And I finished that in 2019. And that was honestly more for me than for anyone else. But it's, uh, again, like my two elbow surgeries, I had a pretty up and down career. And for me, letting go of the game was really, really hard, harder than I'd ever thought it would be, because I had never expected that it would end. You know, we all have this, uh, I don't know, sense of immortality, I think. But my third book is called Clean Your Cleats, and that's like the soft skills, life advice, baseball advice that I would give to a young player, you know, on my deathbed. And it's a lot of like about routines and habits and mental skills, the ups and downs, dealing with slumps, dealing with just all the different things that I think players need in their sort of mental and soft skills toolkit to be a good ball player. And then my fourth, uh, I released this year in 2023 called uh, This Slump Shall Pass, and it's a mental skills book for all athletes. And it's highly visual. It's not a children's book by any means. It's just illustrated in a way that makes it easier to read for kids who are in the TikTok generation, who don't want to read a wall of words, which unfortunately, that's sort of where a lot of the mental skills instruction is. If you want a book today, and there's a lot of great ones out there, but a lot of them are 250 pages of words. And I just was like, you know, I don't know that kids are going to go for that very often. And I read this really great book called Steal Like an Artist, which uh, my mom was always my muse with the stuff. She gave it to me over like Christmas a couple years ago. And it's this little illustrated with like Sharpie drawings. And I just thought it was so well done about it's the books about creativity. And I was like, this should exist for 13 year olds because mm -hmm. I like leaf through it on the Metro. Like mm -hmm. just and I was like, I love this book. So why do I need to write it out in a million words? I'm going to make something that's visual like this where I think kids it would appeal to kids. So that was what my last one was for. And that one's done really well. And I've been really proud of it. So, um, yeah, it's, it's funny writing books in a digital world, as I'm sure, you know, there's like, it's almost like you have to do twice as much video to get people to buy the, to buy the <laughs> book. But, uh, you know, it's the whole ecosystem and the way people consume information now it's, it's changing a lot. So I want to talk about your career, but let's start with, and we'll get to you transitioning because I, I agree with you. I think the hardest and whether you finished at a high school, at a college or pro, and I only played through college, but I had a total identity crisis when I left because like for the first time I wasn't being recruited and I only got, I got recruited ever since like kindergarten and Red Rover, Red Rover. And you know mm -hmm. now all of a sudden you're 
nobody wants me. You know, like yeah. what's going on? Yeah. Well, let's start at the front end of that and why a lot of parents who are listening to this, you know, it's about it's supposed to be about fun, right? And I talk about the three Fs and having the kids having fun, but somehow we've lost the plot on and I have a lot of kids who are like, yeah, we do it. They they look at it more as a job than as actually getting to have fun playing. And you were telling a story before we started rec- recording about a, ga- a game you guys made up, right? That 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 was more fun than the actual the actual competition. Let's unpack fun for me and what it means today to youth sports. Yeah, so it's been fun on my TikTok. I've been posting more parents sort of content and. One of my former teammates actually in, in pro ball was kind of asking me, like, well, what does fun look like? And this is someone who played, I mean, his whole life. He, I think, retired in his 40s. He was still playing in the independent leagues at that point after being in the majors for a little while. And I, you know, I've thought about this over the years, but, you know, it really does shift where sports are not this smiley, giggly, fun thing when you're older. But I think they really do need to be that smiley, giggly, fun thing when you're younger. And, you know, when I was in college, we, I think it was my junior year, we did like our Florida trip where we're playing like, you know, a, a game or two a day for, you know, at these fields, we played all, you know, teams kind of collect down there and play sort of like a tournament format over spring break. And we had an off day and a, a couple of us, maybe like four or five of us decided to go play stickball. And if you're not familiar with baseball, we just take like a sock, like one sock and just like ball it up and then tape it. And it makes this like not, you know, kind of spongy, but kind of firm size of like a, like a little bigger, like a racquetball size ball. And you take a broomstick and we just go out there and throw it and smack it and catch it. And we were out there and just like sprinting around. We played till dark. Like we could barely see the ball at the end. It was literally like, well, like we were all eight years old again. And it was so fun. It was like the highlight of the trip. And then it just, it in stark contrast with the reason that we're there, which is to play division one baseball. Like I pitched against the university of Kansas that weekend. That was like a big name school for me to pitch against. And, uh, it was just this weird contrast where you're like, wait, is, does that mean what we're doing isn't fun? If this is fun, then what are we doing? Then what is, you know, what are we doing? So it's weird because I've thought about this a lot and my degree was in philosophy in college. So I overthink things, you know, <laughs> just perpetually, but you know, I think it really changes and I'm interested to hear your perspective, but I think it you have to have that foundation, just kind of like a relationship. Like everyone needs to have like the, they're so in love that they can't think straight for a while, mm-hmm. right? Because then your relationship is going to level out. You can't feel that way the rest of your life. And then what's there when you have the hard times. And this is what I've been kind of talking about a lot where, you know, I signed up to get two Tommy John surgeries. I, I spent like, if you combine all my like, disabled list time it's like almost five years for my mm-hmm. entire career and i played from eight years old until 31 i retired so out of those 23 years 20 percent of it was on the bench watching my teammates have fun as i had to do stupid rehab and wonder why i couldn't stay healthy and that all came later that that started happening in high school and then in college and then it continued in pro ball i was like never healthy and so you wonder like why does a person sign up for so much pain it's because there was like such intense love for it when I was a kid and no one pushed me to do it. I just like had some success as an eight year old. My, I remember my first grand slam, I hit this like line drive down the line that just rolled, you know, into the into infinity. And I just ran around the bases. It was like the best thing that ever happened to me. And then I was like hooked. And then I played in the backyard, with my friend, Kevin, like every day after school, we just played in the backyard, imitated our favorite stars. 
and no one was telling us how to do it, but we played just until it was dark, like every day. And I know kids don't do that as much. So like it's, and there's fundamental differences today, but the honeymoon phase for me was like so intense and, and pretty long as a kid where I just knew that when it kept getting hard, it was like, yes, I do want to keep going. I don't want to stop. I want to see how my story ends and I want to keep competing and getting this adrenaline rush and all this stuff. And so I, I just, when kids never get that, it's like, it's like having a new relationship, like you have a new girlfriend mm -hmm. or a new boyfriend. And it's like, you're fighting from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then a year, year in, you have like a big fight. And you're like, why are we doing this? Like, why have we ever been doing this? It's been like hard from the get go. And I don't know why we're still doing this. And, they, and then the kids quit. And I don't think that's surprising. I mean, did you have that honeymoon period when you were playing volleyball as a kid? I mean, your story telling that made me, took me back to my childhood, which was I grew up in a small town in Montana, but the stars were the University of Montana basketball players. And I would go to their camps in the summer. And at night, I would take my ghetto blaster out to the court, turn on the lights and S shoot. Sit on for top of a bison or something. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. For hours. And I would visualize playing there. And, and then when I got to high school, visualize beating that team and winning the state championship, which thankfully I was actually able to do. I, we won three state titles. It was amazing to be a part of those kind of teams. So I was in love from a very young age, mostly basketball. And then once I got to high school, started falling in love with volleyball. But, but it was never there was no club. So I didn't play, you know, I played volleyball three months of the year. I played basketball three months a year. And then you played wherever you could pick up, right? That was just, and then mm -hmm. I played softball and I rode horses and I skied and I, you know, like you did just all the things. And by the time I got to San Diego state, what was interesting was those girls were much better volleyball players than I was, but they were also tired. They were burned yeah. out because even this is back in the late eighties, early nineties, they were like, I've been doing this again at that point, they'd started at 10 or 12 and we're, you know, feeling very exhausted by 12 months a year. Now we're starting lower than that. I mean, I had a parent come up to me last week at my book talk say, well, you know, it's kind of late. She's, she's already nine and we haven't started volleyball, you know? And I'm like, that just breaks my heart to hear yeah. like, she can't even throw a ball probably yet properly. Like, and most of the girls I work with nine to 10 year olds, I coach, and you, you say, okay, we're going to warm up our arms, just throw a ball. And they go like this. They don't even know how to throw because they haven't tried anything else yet. They've only, you know, like they've, they've only done things that are in a formalized setting. They don't go out onto the street and play and figure out the rules and figure out how to do it. Right. Yeah. And I, and I wonder, cause you know, like, like I don't have kids, uh, and I know the environment is different. Like, you know, just like with social media is a good example. You can't be the only kid without social media, right? If you're the only 16 year old, it doesn't make you virtuous and like you're happier. Like you're just the one who's like left out. So when kids aren't playing together, you know, running around the neighborhood in like little, their little bands and tribes, like they used to with their bikes and, you know, baseball yeah. cards and the spokes where they're not going to have all this autonomy. You know, if you're the one family that says, go, go play sports. It's like, then they're by themselves. It's like, so I don't know what the solution is exactly, but I know that the, the core, if I was a parent today and I have nieces and nephews and they're going to be at sports ages soon. So uncle Dan will be there to help them. But <laughs> my, I know that my goal is going to be to give them a, just a deep, intense love of whatever sport that they want to play if they want to play sports and to give them as long of a honeymoon phase 
as I can. So if that means me as Uncle Dan just shooting hoops with them and playing all the games of horse and just making it as fun as I can when I'm with them, that's what I'm going to do. And if that means ice cream after everything, you know, music, just like as many ways to make it just memorable and just good bonding time. You know, if it's going to be organized baseball and organized volleyball and organized soccer, then as a parent, you have to ask yourself, well, how can I dilute that rigid experience by just having like the most fun with my kid in the backyard or with their uncle or with whoever, you know? And I think that's, that's where parents have to be creative because it's, it's, it's not the same as it was. Like, I'm not going to say that the solution is go let your kids play backyard baseball all the time because they're just not going to do it. It's not the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a story in the book about a dad who, true story, who when we would say, do you go out and shoot with your kid? Because he had played D2 basketball. And he said, no, because he doesn't want to do it. I'm not going to do it. So like that was, it's not about the basketball. It's about the bonding time. It's about them. All of our kids, they just want to feel seen. They just want to feel heard. And they want, the only people that they want to see feel seen and heard from are you, parents. So giving them the face time that, yes, let's go, you know, we'll ride our bikes to the ice cream store after. We're gonna, let's go shoot or go throw the ball in the backyard. Those are the things they're going to remember. They're not going to remember the 700th, you know, travel soccer tournament in the 90 degree heat. They just, they're not. But they are going to remember those times when you said, this is a priority to me. Let's go out in the backyard and have some fun. Yeah. And one of the, the TikTok posts that I put out there recently that got a lot of parent comments was about video games. And I said, look, this is this is why your kids choose video games over sports. It's because they're just more fun, and because and because no one's down there in the basement with them telling them how to do it, right? Because parents are too old to know how to play video games anyway. So, you know. But like for me as a kid, we got a Sega Genesis when I was maybe I don't know twelve or thirteen, and it was for me. It was like that's nice. I'm gonna go back in, in the backyard. And then as I started to engage with like the video games, like they were fun. But they just weren't more fun than what I was doing with my buddies outside. And so it just didn't it just didn't win. Right. And I think mm-hmm. I think in some ways, you know, when we look at like the filtering off of like youth sports participation, I think in a lot of ways, that's a natural thing. There's more things for kids to do that are acceptable. If this was 19, you know, 85, everyone played out. Everyone played high school sports. Right. Like mm-hmm. if you're a guy and you don't sign up, like who? What, like what's wrong with you? Right now, it's like it's OK to go be a be a band kid, go be a drama kid, go play video games. There are some very good gamers who take it seriously. They love it. They keep their bodies in good shape. Like I have, I have respect for esports. you know, like they're becoming a legitimate thing for some people. And there's just like more things where if, if you weren't going to be that good in sports and it, you know, like back then you just kind of had to hang around the field and, and suck at sports. And that probably wasn't a great experience for you. Like not everyone's going to be a star. And now a lot of those kids, maybe the 10 or 20% who weren't going to ever really excel at it they're just going to go do something else from the get-go. So I don't know that all the youth sports participation drop is bad. I think there's more options for people that are acceptable, but there obviously still is a huge amount of kids who are quitting and umpires who are quitting and referees who are not showing up. And that's going to be especially a real crisis coming up soon. I like to say, I, I don't have a problem with people quitting, but what are you creating? And I think what we're doing is, we have a society now that's consuming and not creating. And when you're only sitting there consuming TikTok or consuming. So I, I saw it with my pretty my middle son really like video games and he's a good athlete too. But, you know, we live in L.A. and you're not running outside in the street. So he got into video games for a while and he got really like, eh, like you'd ask him to do anything and kind of growl at you. Mm-hmm. And I said, if you want to be doing that, 
you need to be creating a YouTube channel. So you create something, mm. or I don't care, you create something. And if you're creating something, then I'll allow you to do the video games for an hour. So he created a YouTube channel. It started to get tons of downloads because he's like pouring a gallon of ice cold milk on his head and doing silly things and, you know, being a kid. Right. Mm -hmm. But it got him out of that. Like I'm only consuming and he Mm. had to think. And so when I, and I do, I have clients and parents are like, well, what what happens when my kid doesn't want to go do baseball or soccer or whatever? That's fine. We can pivot and we all have to pivot at some point. The ball stops bouncing for us all, but what are we pivoting to? And is it something that's feeding their soul in a way that's like, huh, or maybe I want to go back into drawing, or maybe I want to try rock climbing, or maybe I want to, like, there's a lot of other things that they can do. But as long as it's not just a, you know, this or nothing, you know, or this or consuming, right? That's cool. That's a good perspective. I never thought about that. But yeah, so he, he's big on pouring milk on his head, huh? That's the that's the catch. <laughs> well, and then he, then he had too he got too much attention, so he shut it down because he got overwhelmed by because like then he started getting haters because people yeah. were watching it and then wanting to make comments on it and he didn't like that, so he stopped doing it. But it it got the point across, which was you know that's fine that you're you know you're wanting to play this, but for I mean when I grew up, a we had two channels on the on the television, and b it was only on on Saturday or Sunday. So Mm -hmm. there wasn't an opportunity to sit around because parents were like, go outside, right? And I get it. Now, unfortunately, we we live in a world that everything has to be much more structured. But um, but it's it would be nice if parents were, again, whatever times I I I live in L.A. So driving time is a great time to be chatting with your kid, or if not, go on a hike, go on a bike ride. Take but you when you have a captive audience like that. Those are the best times to have a conversation, not sitting down face to face, but doing something with them because yeah. while they're doing something, they'll start, you know, chatting up a storm with you. Yeah. And it, I think as a parent, it's important to know, like to use like a Superman analogy here, what, which is your kid's costume and which are like the street clothes that they wear. So I'll give you two examples. One, I'm, I literally said I'm in my coach Dan costume and I am like, I wear a black shirt. I wear a black hat so that I'm consistent and I, I'm mm. not allowed to shave my, I, I can't go full shave anymore. Cause I won't be, people know what to do, who I am. Um, but one of my coaches, I think in my rookie season, and he was just a, like a funny old crotchety guy, but he walked through and he was like, all right, man, get your baseball costumes on. We got a game to win. So and I just, I never heard it referred to as a costume before. <laughs> And I laughed and uh, I just loved his sense of humor. But I also thought hard about it. And there's a movie, Kill Bill, where in the last scene of Kill Bill 2, where the main character, uh, Beatrix, she finally gets to to Bill, who she's going to kill. He talks about how she had tried to leave her life as an assassin to become a regular person. He said, but no matter what you did, you were like Superman where... You know, you could put on the plain clothes of, you know, this woman that you're pretending to be. But no matter what happened, you were always going to be Beatrix Kiddo, the world fam, you know, like the, the best assassin in the world or whatever. And when I retired, you know, it was like super hard and I was not prepared for it. But, you know, going into the real world, like the street clothes were not my real clothes. Like I've always been mm-hmm. like a ball player, like the pinstripes or who I really was from a very early age, I think. And my parents would say the same thing. Like, it didn't matter what I was doing. Like, that's who I was at my core. 
And that's not most athletes, you know? And it's again, like for me having two Tommy John surgeries, like that's because like the pinstripes were like tattooed to me, right? Mm -hmm. Like I had to keep going. And I think understanding as a parent, like, is, is that your kind of kid? Like, are they really like deeply a football player or a tennis player or, or not? And I think most parents could probably answer that question. Right. And so then if, if the answer isn't no, or isn't yes, like they are a ball player at their core, then you just have to take a different approach and understand that it's like, it's one of the suits of clothes that they wear, but it's not who they are. And then if you're make, trying to make it who they are, it's just not going to be a good fit. And you want to continue to help them figure out like what it is that they love to do, you know? And so, um, you know, like I have a good buddy here in town who at his core, he is a musician. You know, he, he works in HR. He's an amazing guy. Um, he played high school sports, right? And we play on a softball team together. But his costume is the HR. It was baseball. It was football. But who he really is at his soul is a musician. You know, it's mm -hmm. not how he makes his living, but he plays tons of gigs and he's he is a musician. Whether mm -hmm. so whether it becomes your your profession or not, like who is your kid at their at their core? And it also I think comes back to the competitiveness that they show with it too. Like most I'd be curious your take on this, but I think, and a friend was telling me that they thought this was true. And I agree that maybe like one in 20 are really deeply competitive where they're going to sign up for like maybe having a ground ball go through their legs on the state championship game or, you know, mm -hmm. having the worst day of their career and then getting back up and like, like the really deeply competitive people are, are pretty rare. And if you try to make your kid to put them on that stage when they don't really want that, um, I don't think it works very well. Was that, is that how you would identify yourself as a kid? Like that really deeply competitive kind of rare? Yes. Yes. And I believe there's the, the kind of triad, right? Which is not only do they have to be deeply competitive, but then you also have to be blessed with whatever genes that that mm -hmm. sport requires, right? Like you can't teach height, you know, it just, it, you know, if you're going to be a basketball player or even size for a baseball player, like there are certain things that need to come. And then you have to have that just complete, I mean, maybe you call that the competitive spirit, but the complete natural ability too that came with it to a certain degree, right? If you can't walk yeah. and chew gum, but the ones that I see that are the most successful, like we're probably more than average, naturally talented, completely locked in and had this competitive spirit that, like you said, they don't care if they, you know, the best athletes I know, I've got a couple D1 volleyball players, the best in the nation. And what happens when you hit it into the block five times? Nothing swing away the next time like yeah. they don't care it mm -hmm. does not bother them at all whereas there's some people that are like oh and then i made a mistake and they've unraveled before they've even made three errors right and to have that type of just you know swing at all costs and be ready to to push through and persevere it's pretty rare like you said um but to your point about you know i love the analogy to the costume and understanding who they truly are. I do believe each person has a gift. And as a parent, that's our role is to help them figure out and it's okay. And that's, that's where I feel like some of these things get conflated. Just because I played volleyball does not mean that my kid needs to play volleyball. But yes, they might have a proclivity for it. They might be good at it, but maybe it's not their end all be all. And yeah. that's okay. So, you know, my daughter is an okay volleyball player, but She's passionate about writing. She went to a screenwriting camp this summer. Maybe that will be her um, her passion in the long run. In fact, I had 
a woman over that's doing some painting and she said her husband worked with Tony Robbins and with, um, uh, what's his name? Another motivational speaker who had met with, um, with Steven Spielberg and mm -hmm. Steven Spielberg says, I need to write a thank you letter to my high school football coach because he cut me. He didn't cut anybody on the high school football team, <laughs> but I got cut. And he said, thank goodness I got cut because I would have never gone on to do what, you know, I've, I've gone on to do because that wasn't the field I was supposed to be on. And yeah. some, sometimes when the door closes, that's okay. But yet we've told our kids that no, 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 you know, we're going to keep grinding. We're going to go to a different club. We're going to go to a different school. We're going to move states. And, you know, again, I'm not saying give up, but I'm going to say take the reality check to understand, is this my time to pivot? Yeah. And I think, especially for me, who, you know, my career ended, it still feels like yesterday, even though it's been like six years now, but, um, and you know, like my father's sick and he's getting older. So seeing like the end of my relationship with baseball and seeing the end of our father relationship, my, our, my seeing the end of my father's life coming up soon has really given me perspective on what the point of all of it was. And like, for me, it, the point was always, I just felt like I could do big things in baseball. And I loved feeling the feeling of competing. And I just wanted to be out there. And, and I just always loved throwing. So like being a pitcher was a natural progression for just like picking up anything and chucking it at a tree or whatever. Um, but as you start to like get to the end, and of course I'm well past the end, but you start to look back and you say, okay, well, so your kid wants to like play D1. Well, it's like when they get there, well, like what, like when they accomplish that goal, like what is it? What do they get? Well, they're at a D1 school, but like, okay, the thing that you realize as soon as you reach these goals is that most of them, they're not all false summits, but a lot of them are, right? Essentially, when you get to, you arrive on your D1 campus, you have now have a label, like little badge you can wear that say, I play D1 soccer. Like, okay. But like, what good is that? And it's like, okay, well, I, I really want to compete. So like, there's a thing that you still love to do that it has to be the underlying thing that you love to do. Because ultimately, as soon as you get to the one thing, and I experienced this my first start in pro baseball, it was this big moment. You know, I got back from Tommy John. I graduated from college with nowhere to go. I got an invite to spring training. I had to make the team. I made the team. You know, I, I ended up starting the second game of the season. It went pretty well. My parents were there in attendance. It was like a, just a profoundly wonderful moment. But after that first night, after getting parents with my, my parents and my host family, when my best friend called me, all the special things that happened on the actual day, the next day I woke up in our shitty team hotel and I realized I had four days for my next start. And then I was going to have to make 18 more starts that season. And if I didn't keep pitching well, I was going to lose my job. I was going to get released. So the moment just wears off really fast. So you arrive on campus as a D1 athlete. It's like, well, if you hate it, none of it was worth it at all. And it's like the money, mm -hmm. if you got a scholarship, cool. Most people will absolutely not get a scholarship. And so it's just like when you go really to the end, and I had so many teammates that played in the major leagues. One of my close friends is a major leaguer. Um, one of my good friends in New York, he's an artist now. He's a phenomenal artist. He played like three or four years in the major leagues. He played enough big league time to be like a real bona fide, like I was a major leaguer, not just mm -hmm. like up 
of course, anyone who makes it, I'm not trying to take away from anyone who makes it an amazing accomplishment, but he, he had some time there, like a good amount of time. And even he lives a completely normal life, the same as anybody else. So all he's got is the journey and the memories, maybe a little money in the bank, but he never made it big. You know, you're in the rookie salary for a couple of years and like, you know, it's never mm -hmm. enough to last to change your life forever. And so then you say, okay, well, here's someone who made it. He had this special thing, got to experience the success with him, you know, with himself and his friends and family and like had these amazing experiences, but on a day-to-day -day basis, he's the same as anyone else. And so it's the same with my experience. Like I'm coach day on the web. I get to keep teaching baseball, but I didn't get anything <laughs> for, for being a college athlete. I didn't get anything for being a pro athlete. Like it's, it just made me happy. And I got to have these experiences. And so I think as a parent, if you keep saying, well, he just needs to make his varsity team or she just wants to play in college. It's like, okay, but like when they get there, what will they feel? And like, what will be it? What will it be for? And it's a, it's an astonishingly hard question to answer. What is it actually for when you really sit down and, and think about it? And who will you become in the process? Mm -hmm. That I think is the bigger question is that's what the look back is on. And that's kind of the point of what I like to talk about, which is, again, the ball stops bouncing. But when you look back on learning how to overcome surgery, learning how to come off the bench, learning how to not be the star, not get picked, like that's life. And when we can take those lessons and apply them, because again, like you said, you still have, you know, whatever, 50, 60 years to go. So in the scheme of the whole journey, it's a, it's not that long for most people, right? Yes. I mean, LeBron's 36. He's getting ready to say goodbye. He's, you know, just you're younger than you. And yet I'm sure it seems like all of his life, but arguably some of your best work is still ahead of you, right? In fact, for most of us, that, that will be the case. You know, Julia Childs didn't start cooking until she was 36. She didn't write her first book till she was in her late 40s. She wrote 15 other books after that. And so for parents too, what are you inventing? What are you reinventing? What are you curious about? And be modeling that to the kids around, you know, what am I, what, have, what did I fail at today that didn't go well? Oh, that didn't go, the discussion with the boss didn't go well, or this, you know, whatever, I got into an accident or the things that are happening in life. And then they're watching you as to how you choose to respond to that. Oh, that's an interesting way that mom handled that, that it didn't go her way. And she chose to not blow up, but chose to say, let's sit down and talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's funny how, and my college coach would say this all the time. He's like, you know, like employers, they just love, they love to employ athletes because they just have resilience. They can work with teams. They can make a plan and stick to it. They show up on time. You know, they can like chip away at stuff. And like, those are the big things that are really important that come from sports. Um, but I also, it's, it's funny how just like the things get distorted so fast, even for like a positive and a positive spin. Like, I don't think building character is the point of sports. And I, that gets thrown around a lot. And I think that's just like a lazy interpretation because it isn't like sports are to divert us from the hardship of daily life. You know, this is, um, I mean, my opinion, but that's where the root of the word comes from. It comes from Latin to sporto. Like it's to carry away from our troubles. And so if people are like, oh, sports are to develop character, it's like, well, they can go build, they can go dig a ditch in the backyard. That'll build character too. So are you saying like, that's the same as sports? Like, it's not the same. 
it's just a happy side effect that kids that you build a lot of great character traits from sports, right? But you still have to love doing it. You still have to choose doing it. Like there's a reason you choose sports instead of choosing playing the piano. Both of them will build a lot of similar characteristics. And it, and it's, I feel like it's sad when that becomes the motive, even though that's still like a, a positive motive. Like they want their kids to grow up and become resilient adults. And so they're like, I'm going to put them in sports. Well, it's like, yeah, but like it still needs to be fun. Like it's just, it's mm -hmm. something to, for your kid to get out of bed and enjoy doing. And like, that's what baseball was always, always was for me. And now as a, again, decaying old man, I appreciate that I'm more resilient. And like, I've been through a lot of hard things that make my perspective on life a lot more grateful now. Like I'm pretty, pretty grateful, even though the, the horrible things that happened in my career were objectively horrible. Like there's no, there's no bright side to my two elbow surgeries. Like I could have accomplished a lot more. Then again, who knows what would have happened? Because you, you only know the path, you know, the fork in the road that you took. But they were objectively bad, like cost me time, cost me pain. You know, like, I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't gotten those surgeries. But today, knowing that, you know, what happened happened, taught me a lot. And my career was like more interesting than other people's. And I and like the success that I did have later was definitely sweeter than a lot of players who I've known who were never hurt and were just always good, essentially. It's not to say they didn't work hard because everyone has to work hard, but like when you don't have as many potholes in your road, it's, it's like not as great when you finally get through it, you know, and get to your ultimate wherever it is. Just success is always sweeter when it's hard, hard earned. So what advice do you have for parents who are on the front end of their journey with their kids just starting out in sports? Do you do multiple sports? Do you specialize? What age? Um, how do you keep the fun in it? Yeah, I, I think you definitely have to do multiple sports for quite a while. And I think the, the separation point you put in your book, which is great, is like, you know, like 14 or 15. I think that makes sense because it is it, the specialization stuff is definitely a, a more complicated topic because I had this with a lot of kids at my academy where it's like, they know they want they want know they wanted to play baseball in college, for example, but they were playing basketball all winter and football in the fall, and they're not that great at any of those sports. But they really want to play baseball in college and they like work earnestly to get to that goal. And I'm like, hey man, football's not making you a better baseball player at age 15 anymore. Like it's not gonna make you better. At age 10 and 11, you're gonna learn a lot from it. 12 or 13, you're gonna earn a, learn a lot. Uh, you know, different coaching styles, different just mental and physical things that you learn from football will translate in their own way to baseball. But at 16, they won't. They're just taking away time that you need to be a better baseball player. And, you know, for me, one of the big things was when kids were playing basketball all winter, when they, again, wanted to be a college baseball player, it's like basketball just runs you, literally runs you ragged. Mm -hmm. And they're like, they can't, they can't put on weight to like hit the ball harder and throw the ball harder. So I'm like, man, I, like I know you love basketball and it's fun, but if you really want to play college baseball, you have to understand that like you're, you're losing 15 pounds every winter playing basketball. And that's running like directly contrary to your goal of playing college baseball. Cause you have to put on some weight. You can't continue to be a 130 pound kid. And at some point they'll make that decision or they won't. And you know, either way, it's like, if you really want to play all three sports, all four years, and it's, you know, at smaller schools, you can do that a lot of times at bigger schools. You can't, you would just get cut, but you know, that's still a choice that I respected when kids would make that. There were still kids that would play basketball and football and baseball all four years because they wanted to be with their buddies. They wanted to play it. And they were, they accepted the consequences of that, which were that they just probably weren't as good when they finally got to their 
final recruiting years. And I think that's also okay. Like I said, I like respected that choice. Um, I mean, where do you fall on that? I know having read your book, you know, there's a, you make that cutoff point around high school. Do you have to have a lot of these nuanced conversations with parents? I assume you probably do. Yes. And, and it's hard. And I think it depends on where you live. I mean, I know there's some smaller, as I mentioned, we lived in Buffalo for a while and one of my son's best friends, he played basketball, baseball, and volleyball all the way through high school. He went to a junior college last summer, having only played one year of travel baseball and he just got drafted by the Rangers. Wow. So yeah, who knows, right? Mm-hmm. And they argue, okay, was it the other sports that made him a better overall athlete? Was it the not burning out? Was it the not getting injured? You know, and some of it's genetic, some of it's mindset, yeah. some of it's, you know, the, it's the perfect storm. But um, yeah, I, and right now when I coach the little ones and they're apologizing for missing because of softball or whatever, uh, cotillion or whatever, no, you're a kid. Like this is, you know, and I don't think you should be going to Vegas or going to travel tournaments at eight and nine. It just, it's no, you should be friends, fun and fundamentals and parents forget the FOMO. Like don't be keeping up with the Joneses, whoever they are, like be focused on what it is important to your family. And particularly if you have more than one kid, like if you're only all in on this one kid, because that was the opening story in my book and the parents felt really bad. Like the other kid wasn't an athlete at all. And this one kid was super athletic. And he, they said, we only have focused on this one child to the point that he broke down. And then we were like, wow, we probably would make different decisions if we would do this over. So my hope is to, again, at least be a little enlightening as to just have a, an idea of how you would like to go after it. And then parent the kid you have, not the one you wish you had. <laughs> and yeah. I think there's a lot of people, too, that look and see what Joey's doing over there. And he got recruited because they had this coach or they went to that camp. We're going to do the same thing. Hmm. Not yeah. necessarily. And I think what's really pervasive and it's hard to get away from, and this is in like so many aspects of life is survivorship bias. And this is something I talked about in my, my mental skills book, but I'll give you the example that, uh, when I really started to think about this more heavily is I was on a date three years ago in DC and I was walking like in the museums or something with this girl. And just this partly me being humble, but partly also being honest where, she was like talk, asking me about like my sports career. And I was like, well, I'm not that good of an athlete. Like I was a, I was a pitcher and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, kind of stopped me. She's like, wait, you, you're a pro baseball player, but you're saying you weren't a very good athlete. And I felt like, I felt stupid because I wasn't patronizing her. I wasn't like, I, I, I said that in all honesty, all honestness. And that was because, and this is what survivorship bias is, it's when you only compare yourself or you only see the people that have made it through a certain trial. So mm-hmm. the only people I compared myself to were my pro athlete teammates, where if you did grade out like pure athleticism, I was like on the lower third, probably. I had some, like I, one of my teammates, his dad, his great grandfather was the person they moved, made the movie Cinderella Man about. Like his, his great grandfather was literally... Jim Braddock or James Braddock or whoever I can't remember the name, but, um, and so his great, his grandson who I played with Zach Braddock was like drafted at age 19 in the bullpen with the San Diego, San Diego Padres at like 23 with alongside Trevor Hoffman. And we had took pitchers BP one day and he was hitting balls over the scoreboard. I'm like, you're a pitcher. Who are you? What is wrong with you? And he, it's just like, you have teammates like that who can hit a golf ball a mile, dunk a basketball with both hands and they're just like, they're just insane. That's who I compared myself to. So when I was telling mm-hmm. this girl that I wasn't a very good athlete, I, I wasn't like, 
I was being truthful, but it was only because mm-hmm. I compared myself to people who are, and so now I play slow pitch, slow pitch softball here in DC and I love it. And, uh, obviously I'm one of the best players there. I'm a good, I'm a good overall athlete. And I, I don't say that to brag. I just say that as like, a, Oh, Oh, right. I actually am. And I, I think everyone loses perspective on that athletes. I think especially with social media, it's so easy to say, Oh, look at this kid. He's my same age. And he, he, he look at these things he can do. It's like social media can find any amount of people who are so much better than you. And it makes you feel like you're never good enough. And mm-hmm. the, what's problematic as a parent with survivor bias is that you only see, well, like, Oh, you know, this is how Andre Agassi's dad raised him and he became a world famous tennis player. Well, there were probably a thousand other dads who were psychos too, but those thousand kids gave their dad the middle finger and quit and they hated it and they didn't, and they weren't also good enough to become Andre Agassi. So it's like, or, or they turned out like Todd Marinovich and, you know, he ended up having a, a drug problem and invented yeah. out of prison. Right. So there's yeah. also, I'm sure a hand, you know, you see those stories pop up every once in a while. He's mm-hmm. supposed to go to the NBA. He ends up driving trucks or whatever, right? So, yeah. yeah. Well, I remember at Nike actually um, standing in the coffee line one morning and somebody, a colleague of mine was standing behind me and I was like, oh, didn't I see you ran Boston this weekend? He goes, yeah, yeah, I quit. I'm like, what do you mean you quit? Well, I was on pace for 340 and that's just ridiculous. So why would I finish? And I remember just being like, because you were running a freaking marathon, mm-hmm. but, but it's true. Like when you're surrounded by everybody who, oh, I'm not going to run a 310 or whatever the, the, you know, whatever his goal was, he's not going to even finish. It's like, yeah. yikes. And that, you know, parents like, it's, again, don't be comparing yourself, mm-hmm. stay in your lane, figure out what's important to your values. You only get 18 years with them. And, and maybe you forego the, you know, whatever tournament so that you can go on the camping trip or you can spend the week with grandma or you can do the thing that, you know, matters to you as a family. Yeah. And just like with coaches, a lot of coaches, they teach what they were taught as players. Right. And of course, the mm-hmm. best coaches, they're always learning new things and trying to do the modern thing molded in with their own experience and what they, they learn, too. And I think with parents, they're doing the same thing, like they're parenting their kids the way they were parented. And I think the best ones are very introspective and self-aware and will pull in all the other stuff. But I think it just gets hard when you see, you know, down the street, there's, you know, Karen, who's the crazy, crazy softball mom and like clearly rides her daughter too hard. But it also is also legit. I mean, she's going D1. So you're like, maybe Karen's on to something. It's like, no, maybe she's not. Maybe her daughter is just a stud and she'd actually be way in way better shape if her mom wasn't a psycho, yeah. right? Yeah. Like we don't, we don't know. We have a sample size of one and the survivorship bias at play. And it's just, it's just like, it's so hard to know what to do. I think as a parent, even when you're well-meaning and it's just, like you said, I think that's the best advice is just like stick to your guns and what are your values and, you know, prioritizing not just your kid, but also your family and all these other things. And, you know, like Linda Flanagan does a great job in that in her book, taking back the game where she talks about it's like it's your whole family like you can't sacrifice your marriage just to make youth mm-hmm. baseball and make all these tournaments all over the country like it's about all of you and like prioritizing the whole unit everyone's happiness not just one person mm-hmm. so many good discussions dan mm-hmm. thank you so much for your time this is amazing we like to end our podcast by asking one question 
and you can take this in any direction you want to go. But how would you finish the statement, the best athletes I know do this? What is it that the best athletes that you've played with or against, what are the characteristics that you see? They can find ways to slow themselves down when the game really speeds up mentally, you know, whether it's in, you know, the baseball world, the bases are loaded or there's scouts watching, or it's a you know crucial playoff game or the winning runs on third base. They all have a way of like resetting and slowing themselves down mentally. So then they can narrow down into just like the one little task that they have to do, which is like make this next pitch or if they're a hitter, see, you know, the ball coming in or as a soccer player, just like, where am I putting this ball? Like, where am I going to try to put this free kick? Whatever it is. But they, they all seem to be able to slow things down and focus on allowing their body to do just this one little thing well. Love that. I agree. You're in flow. You're not getting sped up by what's around you. You're just focused on where it is you want to be. Yeah, that's great. So where can people find you again? Maybe if, point our audience to you so they can follow along if they're raising a baseball or a softball athlete too. They're going to want all of your great videos and tips and, and learnings. Yeah, um, easy to find. I'm all over the web. So you can just Google me, Dan Blewett, B-L-E-W-E-T-T. I'm sure you can even spell it wrong and Google will figure it out. <laughs> I'm on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, I have two YouTube channels. Uh, I have a big email list. I send out stuff each week. So um, it's really easy to engage with me and I respond to 99% of my emails. Um, so I make a pretty big effort to, uh, if you want to connect to, to do so with you. Thanks, Dan. This is great. Yeah. Thank you, Kirsten. Parents, please like, follow, share, buy the book, buy Dan's books, uh, go on to iTunes and, and like, and, uh, rate and share the podcast, trying to get this out to the, the parents that need it. Whenever I speak, I always have a parent come up to me and say, gosh, I need to buy this book for the parent that's sitting next to me at the game because they're crazy. So do please share this content because we're all trying to help our kids fall down, learn from it, stand back up and do it all over again. Let's do this.